Hey everybody, this is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight, with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. I know, I know what you're thinking, another MMA podcast. I know, there's a lot of us out there, but if you like bold, unapologetic hot takes, a detailed, broken down view of the fight game, and of course, stomach-hurting comedy, well, come to the right place. What's going on, everyone? This is episode four of R6 MMA Talk, of course, of me, your boy, Noah Petrie. Now, I got to warn you, one, I've been sick all weekend, so my voice probably sounds like ass right now. I sound congested. I sound nasty. Please, I'm just sick. Like I couldn't even watch the fight Saturday night. I was that sick. I just fell asleep like at fucking 9 p.m., it's it's been a, a terrible weekend for your boy, especially when you know in New York City the weather is hot. It was like ninety seven degrees on Saturday, it was like eighty something, ninety something on Sunday. Everyone was outside, people motherfucking tanning in Central Park, and I'm just inside sweating up a storm for no reason because I got a cold. Don't know why. For some reason, every time there's like a major weather switch, I get sick. It's fucking trash. I've been sick all year. Has not been good. It is what it is. Let's not get into our personal life. Personal life is ass right now. But basically, yeah, your boy's sick. I got the sick voice. You, just just push through it. Trust me. Is Next week is going to be good. Just push through the sick voice now. And another thing. Um, so, unfortunately, we don't have anything lined up for next week because there is no event going on next week. So, I checked. There's no Bellator. There is no... UFC, I'm going to check into PFL. I really don't like PFL, to be honest with you. They do, they did, they are doing some good changes. They are doing some really good changes lately. I want to go into that later. I think it's great for the sport in general, what they're starting to do, what they're looking to do. Um, So I'll look into PFL. I'll look into Eagle FC, see if you have any events going on for next week. But generally, if there's no, you know, events going on, for that week, then I'll just get into like general MMA topics. Of course, MMA news and drama because that's always frequent from week to week. You're always going to have something going on in the MMA universe. So thankfully, that's always happening. Um, as far as like content-wise, fight-wise, I will usually, if there is no fights at all, I will just be going over, you know, general questions and general stuff that's currently happening in the MMA space. Um like fighter pay, we could discuss that. We could discuss a bunch of other questions like judging or, or anything like that. So that's going to be the plan for next week. I just want to warn you ahead of time. But let's get into these fights that just happened last weekend. So we had Holly Holm versus Vieira, UFC fight night. I'm going to be going over with Chase Hooper and Kolaris first. Now, this fight, right? This fight shows you how good a grappling fight could be. Because most of the time when we think of a grappling fight, we think of a fight that's boring as ever-loving shit. Just two dudes are pressed against a cage or one's laying on top of the other. It's a very boring fight. Usually when it comes to grappling matches, it can be like that. It's hard to, when you know you're, you're trying to convince your friend to watch MMA and the fight that comes on next is a grappling fight. And you're like, dude, what the fuck is this? So, but this was not the case at all. This is a very, very, very entertaining grappling fight. It was going back and forth the entire time in that fight. Especially towards the second round, both men were constantly reversing positions to get a submission. Chase Hooper more so than Kolaris. I feel like Kolaris is on the receiving end trying to, you know, get out of submissions and make sure he doesn't get tapped out. 
Now, one, we all know that Chase Hooper's grappling game is amazing. But what really impressed me was his striking. I honestly think he didn't necessarily need to do that much grappling to begin with in that fight because he was clearly winning on the feet. Now, his striking is still rudimentary. Don't get me wrong. It's still very basic. He's still developing it. He's only 22 years old, which is fucking insane. He's that young in the UFC. Even more insane, John Jones won the belt at that age, but we're not going to get into that. But the fact that he's that young in the UFC, still developing, his grappling game is amazing. His striking is still improving. I would I would have liked to see him be more on the feet a little more because clearly he was winning there as well. So maybe he could showcase what's new, what he's learned, or really further develop that skill set because you really develop the skill set in the fights more so in training. Um, but all in all, dude, an amazing performance from Chase Hooper. His last fight, he got beaten down pretty badly. A lot of us had a lot of debates whether or not Chase Hooper was ready for the UFC. I don't know if he's ready for the UFC yet. I'm going to be honest with you. Granted, he has some wins in the UFC. And the kid has a lot, a lot, a lot of talent. But I think for 22 years old, fighting in the best promotion in the world, I think is a little much, man. I think is a little much. Because the UFC is not really a place where you could develop talent. Granted, in the UFC, we are currently developing talent. Like we're doing it with Sean O'Malley. We're giving him fights that are not you know, people up to his caliber and not necessarily testing him in that way. Um, we're doing it with a few other fighters. Uh, Patty Pimble is another example. But I feel like those guys are more developed than Chase Hooper. Not because they're older and they've been fighting longer. But I just feel like overall their games are more developed than Chase Hooper as of right now. And Chase is so young. So I don't want to see him you know, take absurd amount of damage in these fights. Just continually fighting on upper competition, upper echelon competition. And him not succeeding, taking you know further damage and shortening the length of his overall career. What I would like to see from Chase Hooper is I think of course the UFC is not going to cut him because... He's not necessarily a name, but people have a liking towards him, so they're going to further develop that. I would like to, I would think it would be, when Chase Hooper got started in MMA and he was picking promotions, I think it would have been better if he went to Bellator or Ryzen or, you know, one of these smaller MMA promotions like King in the Cage or something like that. So I think that would, that would have been far better for his career, constantly improving his skill set over there with lesser competition. He's still young, so by the time he's like 25, 26, he can jump into the UFC. Now, one, I want to address a cage grab in the fight. So the ref did a very good job with the cage grab. He saw the cage grab. Now, he didn't set him back into the same position they were beforehand. He stood both of them up. I didn't think that was necessarily a bad thing. He didn't take a point right away. I don't think it necessarily warranted a point. Um, if, he, if he took the point, then I really wouldn't be mad at it. Cage grab is a cage grab. It is what it is. But I do think a ref did a good job handling that situation. Before I get into the next fight, I got, dude, I literally had to stop for three minutes because two dogs were barking. One was big. One was small for like three, four minutes. Like get a fucking hold of your dogs. Literally, why are you having them next to each other continuously, literally continuously barking for minutes on end? Fucking annoying. Then on top of that, right after it, someone wants to be with a stupid hoopty going super fast. I mean, it sounds like they're going faster. In reality, they're probably going like 30 miles per hour. And a stupid hoopty that's fucking beaten to ever-loving shit. OD loud for no reason. 
First of all, I want to speak on behalf of all men, right? Ladies, if you're listening to this, if a guy has a car that's obnoxiously loud like that, he has a small cock. That's little dick energy. That's big little dick energy. Us big dick players, we don't need to do that. We don't need a car that's that's obnoxiously loud going past, you know, random apartment buildings at 10 o'clock at night for no reason. We don't need to do any of that extra shit to be cool or, I don't know. It's literally just weird when guys fucking do that weird shit. But if a guy does that, just know his cock is fucking tiny or he has a lot of issues in a lot of different areas. But I guarantee his dick is probably small too. But I want to get into the next fight right after that, which is I'm going to skip over a few of the other fights. I didn't really see anything necessarily that necessarily caught my eye for us to be talking about so much. And of course, I was sick too. So watching MMA for five hours while you're sick, you're really, you're not really seeing all of it at once. And, you know, you're constantly in and out trying to pay attention. So I'm really just going to be talking about the stuff that I thought is the most important and you know really caught my eye the most fight-wise. So the next fight after that was Ponzinibbio against Pereira, right? Now, very entertaining fight. By far the best fight on the card. Now, there's two things we got to discuss for this fight. One is Pereira is definitely improving. Now, I just discovered Pereira is only 28 years old. The dude looks like he's 37. He aged in dog years. Sorry, bro. It is what it is. You look old as fuck. The fact that I'm 26, right? I look like a normal 26-year-old, I would feel. When you look at Pereira, the dude looks like he's been married for the last eight years with three kids. He looks old as fuck, man. He didn't... He... He, <laughs> he aged, dude. He was probably one of those kids in high school where he looked like a grown man. It had to have been. The dude looks old. Granted, he has a beard, so we can't really see his face, but... Bro, he looks old. I did not expect him to be 28 years old. So the fact that he's 28 years old, not that I'm shitting on his age, but the fact that he's 28 years old means that he just has so much more time to improve. And he's already improving. When he first got into the UFC, he was known as that guy doing stupid shit. He would literally jump off, you know, the cage and do backflips and just do weird, stupid shit to be entertaining, dance to the ring, to do as a showman, which... You know, when you're in the UFC, is not enough to just be good. You have to stand out from the crowd in some sort of way. You have to become popular in some sense. And I guess, for, in his mind, he was thinking that's the way he was going to do it. I respect it. It was kind of annoying to see him do stupid shit. At times, it was entertaining. But he had he always showed a lot of potential. But he would always just do dumb shit to drain out his gas tank and fuck up. Now, he's been greatly improving that these last couple fights. I believe he's on a five-fight win streak. He's beaten some good opposition, so I've, I'm loving seeing him continuously taking fighting seriously, not doing dumb shit, not doing dumb spinny shit, and preserving his... Before, he had really bad gas tank issues, but now the dude went, you know, he was slugging it out for three rounds, and looks like he can do it for another two easily. So, it turns out he necessarily doesn't have gas tank issues, he was just doing dumb shit that depletes your gas tank. So... He's constantly developing. Now, in this fight, I would have loved to see more grappling. I would have loved to see more grappling on his behalf. He utilized that more in a chaos fight because chaos is a, a very heavy hitter. On top of that, 
Um, Pereira has a really good chin on him. He He's able to take heavy shots and dish out punishment as well. I do see him have a lot of potential. Granted, I don't think he could beat the upper echelons of the division now, but I do think in a year or two, he will be a, a possibly a serious problem in the division. A serious con- contender in the division. Now, another thing we have to discuss is Ponzinibbio. Ponzinibbio is definitely on his way out. I'm sorry to say it. We have a huge problem MMA not calling fighters old for some reason. Like when a fighter is washed and MMA will refuse to believe that he's washed. And boxing is the opposite. When a fighter is washed, motherfuckers just say it, no problem. And MMA, we kind of like to dance around it and etc, etc. Ponzinibbio is a little on the wash side, I'm not going to lie to you. Can he still beat good opposition? Yeah, I think he can still be good opposition. He was ranked, what, 14 now? I think he's unranked now. I think Ponzinib- I think uh, Pereira took his his spot in the number 14th rank. I would hope so. But he was, was his last five fights. Last five fights was three and two. I believe so. Three and two, something like that. So he's just, I, I, I don't know what happened to him. Granted, it could be a little bit of an age thing. I think he's 37, 38. To be 37, 38 at 170 is a little bit on the older side. I'm not going to lie to you. But I just think he never truly recovered after that injury he had. I think it was, I don't know if it was necessarily an injury that was related towards training. But I think it was more so of a health scare or a really bad, you know, something really bad of his health. But ever since then, he was off for like two years. The dude was on like a 10-fight win streak at that time. And he just, he never seen the same since, man. He just never seen the same since. I don't know if his body has never been the same because of the health scare or because of that long overdue of inactivity or his age. It could be a factor of all three, but he's definitely on his way out. So the fact that if anyone is still up playing, you know, Ponzinibbio and his potential, granted, he's still a good fighter. He still can beat some good fighters, but I think overall he is on his way out. Now, the one thing from the fight that I think Ponzinibbio was doing well was the jab. He started utilizing that jab towards the later end of the third round. Both men were swinging towards the fences a little too much the entire fight. I think Pereira more so. Pereira was really trying to put him away. Probably because I think Ponzinibbio's last loss was, was a KO loss or a TKO loss. But both men were swinging towards the fences a little too much. Pereira is by far the bigger man. I think he could have did a far better job you know, maintaining the distance. Utilizing the jab, utilizing front kicks to the body. I, I don't think he did enough of that, to be honest with you. They were more so just swing to the fences, trying to put each other away. Ponzinibbio started to utilize the jab in the third round to great success towards the later end of that round. I think he should have been using that you know, more into the fight game. Pereira and Ponzinibbio could have utilized more grappling. Ponzinibbio got a good takedown towards the end of the second um, I think that's what, in my personal opinion, made him win that round. It was a very, very close fight. I don't think it was necessarily, you know, contested so much. I think the right forever was Pereira. I think you can make a case for Ponzinibbio. But I would have liked to see grappling on behalf of both men a little bit more. And all in all, it was kind of a little bit of a sloppy fight. Both men were swinging a little too much for defenses. And Ponzinibbio's next fight, I think he should definitely utilize that jab more. And Pereira's... The biggest man in the division. He should definitely learn how to utilize his length. That's ba- that's what made John Jones such a, 
a formidable fighter at light heavyweight. The dude was bigger than everyone else. He had far longer reach than everyone else. He was able to effectively utilize it. Pereira should do the same thing. The dude is fucking massive for the division. The fact that he can make 170 is shocking. He should learn how to effectively utilize his reach and length. If he's able to do that, he could be a, a truly formidable problem. But even so, he's still developing, and I like to see... I'm loving his development so far, to be honest with you. Now I'm going to go into the home Verrier fight. So for the Ponzinibbio and Pereira fight, I had Pereira winning, which I was correct there. For the home and Vieira fight, I had home winning, which I should have been correct there because home got robbed. I'm going to get into it, but I honestly think that Holly Home got robbed in that fight. Now, it was surprisingly a lot more grappling than I thought it was going to be. I'm going to be honest with you. It was a hell of a lot more grappling than I thought it was going to be. Uh, round one and two was mostly grappling on behalf of Holly Holm. She did get caught in a submission in round two. She did try to grab the cage a few times to see. She wasn't able to, but eventually she got out of the submission. It was very tight, but shout out for her to reverse the position, able to get out of it. Now, here's the thing, right? I feel like what we're doing in MMA now, judging-wise, I think we're having a little too much emphasis on damage and not enough emphasis on volume and grappling and everything else. I feel like people are just putting damage above everything, which at times is correct. At times you can do that. For instance, Cheeto Vera against Rob Font. Rob Font landed by far more strikes than Cheeto Vera in that fight. But literally at the end of every single round, Chitovera will land a big significant strike or a, a number of big significant strikes and get to the point where Rafont was about to get put out, you know, in the middle of that round and got saved by the belt. So obviously that that round will go to Chitovera because he was a, literally about to put his opponent away. Rightfully so. In that case, damage outweighed volume. But when you look at this fight, who landed the most like the most devastating significant shots? Vieira did. Now, did they necessarily damage Holly Holm much? No, because Holly Holm kept moving forward. Would, her, would it rock her head back a little bit? Yes, it would, but Holly Holm kept moving forward. Holly Holm kept landing significant strikes. She landed, but she landed a lot more volume, not just in head strikes, but kicks to the head, kicks to the body, um, leg kicks. She was able to drop her opponent with a body kick. Uh, and on top of that, she used effective grappling against the cage for minutes on end. How, how can we not give her the fight at that point? Yes. Now, who did more damage to the other opponent? I guess you can say Verrera. Granted, that one's clear. But then again, you might never know as far as, you know, after the fight wise. Because Holly Holm did land more damage. I mean, land more strikes in different parts of the body. So, I guess you might never know. But visibly... You know, as far as judging wise and watching the fight, when Vieira hit Holly Holm, you see that it did more of an effect or rock her head back a little bit more than when Holly Holm hit Vieira. True. That is definitely true. But that's not an indication that necessarily the person is doing more damage in a way. It just means that they hit harder. So when you're emphasizing damage too much, I feel like you're giving it to the person who is the more heavy handed at the two. Because if you're fighting someone who is more heavy-handed, who can inflict more damage in that way, 
when they hit you, of course, your head's going to drop back a little bit more, more so than, you know, getting hit by someone else. But if you hit them and it seems like, oh, it's not doing any visible damage, but you're landing by far more volume, not just in punches, but in kicks and control time and, and grappling and body work, that it doesn't make any sense to give it to the person who supposedly landed the harder significant strikes. It just doesn't make any sense. We're emphasizing damage a little too much now. Now, back in the day in early MMA, we emphasized grappling a little too much. We had something called lay and pray, where literally people would take down their opponents, lay on top of them, do no groundwork, and win the fight that way. We had such an issue in it where we started to realize, listen, you're not necessarily damaging your opponent in any type of way. You're just laying on them. Not necessarily a fight, so we should emphasize damage a little bit more. Now, I feel like we're emphasizing damage a little too much. Now, in the instance of Cheeto Vera Rob Font, damage outweighed his volume by far. That's not even up for discussion. When you're in a fight that, you know, no one got dropped or no one got, you know, significantly hurt to the point where they're about to be put away, one landed by far more volume, one did you know, a by far effective more grappling, and the other person landed you know, some significant strikes and appeared to do the harder strikes, you shouldn't win that round. You, your five punches that landed cleanly shouldn't win the round against a person who did four minutes of work. So they did two minutes of you grappling against the cage and you can't get out of that position, which should be counted a lot because literally you're held in that position and you can't get out. That shouldn't be something that's, you know, downplayed in the judging rule set. And I feel like grappling is something that is downplayed in the judging rule set, which doesn't make any sense. One One person is opposing their will on the other and the other person literally can't get out of that position. It doesn't make any sense how... Uh, uh, a one strong strike hit to someone's head doesn't drop it at all is more significant than two three minutes of clinch work and grappling doesn't make any sense straight up doesn't make any sense so for everyone who's saying you know Vieira is the rightful winner I personally don't think so I think we have a huge error in regards to you know the judging system now and I think it's definitely something that we need to change I guess when you look at the judging criteria and who won the fight by the judging criteria, I guess you would give it to Fierre because she landed the harder strikes. But when you look at the fight in total, you can tell that Holly Holm won that thing, man. That was a robbery. Holly Holm should have won that thing. And of course, you know, MMA-wise, UFC-wise, you don't want Holly Holm winning. She fought for the title a million times. She's literally 40 years old. She's way past her prime. We can see it in the fight. I'm going to be going over it in a second. So you want the younger, fresher fighter winning the fight. Now, get into Holly Holm being past her prime. One, she's 40 years old, and you can tell she's 40 years old. Right off the bat, as I'm watching round one, the first thing that popped up to me was, why does Holly Holm look so slow? Holly Holm looked very flat-footed. Where Holly Holm is typically bouncing around, jumping around. When you looked at her in the Aldana fight, she was constantly bouncing around, jumping around. Her strikes were efficient. She was in and out, blitzing, uh, doing affected leg kicks, body kicks, head kicks, etc. Holly Holm in this fight just looked very slow. She looked very flat-footed. When she was going in for a blitz, she was getting caught on the way out. She just, it seems like she aged so much in the last two years. And when you look at what her last fight was, it was literally in 2020. It was two years ago, right around two years ago. 
So it could have been maybe it was an injury pre-fight or you know, something happened, weight cut, or et cetera, et cetera. But she just seemed very old. She seemed very old in the fight. And you can tell she's definitely past her prime. Does she still got a few fights in her? Obviously. But uh, do I think she'll ever get a championship run again? I don't think so. I think it's her last championship run. I think for Holly Holm, we should make some fun fights. For Holly, we should we should have her fight, you know, Misha Tate, run that back second time. Both of them are a little on the wall side. On top of that, it was a big fight the first time, and it is something that can definitely sell. You could probably possibly even put it on a pay-per-view and people would buy it. I don't think you should do that. I think you could you could put it in a co-main event, and, you know, in a pay-per-view that's a little bit lackluster, and it'll, be, it'll do perfectly fine. But I think that's a fun fight you can do. Or fights along those lines, you know, like Cyborg, I mean, not Cyborg, um, Duranamine, Holly Home 2, or something like that, you know, Th- those kind of fun fights against someone who is of equal age and, you know, been in the game for a long time too. But it just goes to show you that, listen, if this is Holly Home two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, she would have easily be Vieira. Easily, easily, easily be Vieira. Now, I even think Vieira's corner felt that she was losing too. Because when you saw her corner, her coach talked to her in that fifth round and basically was ripping into her. And which I love. I love that. When your fighter is down, you have to tell them they're down. You can't give them the Rose Namajunas treatment and say, oh, you know, everything is all right. You're doing perfectly fine. No. You have to tell them that they're down and when they're doing something wrong. And at times when you have to rip into them a little bit, you have to rip into them a little bit. He was just basically ripping into her he was like listen did you come here for a vacation did you come here to travel like you're giving it to her you're giving it away from her you have to get in there and you know and give it your all in this last round which holly Holm won the fifth round anyway i think it all just the scorecards too so i just think uh i just think holly Holm won the fight i think in most ju- in most people's scorecards they won the fight i believe i saw in uh, I think if someone uh, showed a picture of all the other MMA news outlets and stuff like that, and most of them gave it for Holly Holm. I just think we have a bad issue when it comes to judging a scoring right now. But that's the fights that happened last weekend. I want to get into MMA news and drama. Again, we I don't have anything as far as Petri predictions because there's nothing happening next week. So after MMA news and drama, that'll basically be about it. I know a little bit on the the. You know, the lighter side as far as content-wise for this episode. But I promise another episode is going forward. We're going to have some juicy content even when there isn't a fight coming up in the next week, etc., etc. Now, MMA news and drama. Scott Coker thinks MVP won the fight and saying that laying on someone isn't, to me, isn't MMA. Now, I think it's a, we, we're going back to the same issue as far as judging that we just left off. Uh, Storley was able to effectively use his wrestling to grapple MVP for four out of the five rounds. Granted, Sterling really didn't do much striking wise. I'm gonna be honest with you. He didn't do much on the feet he didn't do much, you know, taking his while he had his opponent on the ground. He didn't do much ground and pound or threatened with submission or anything like that. It was more so takedown, position control, grappling, that that was basically about it for the fight. MVP landed more significant strikes, but they didn't cause any real damage to Storley. They were just landed strikes. They didn't cause any significant damage to Storley. And on top of that, there was barely any volume. He would land like 15, 20 strikes in total. He landed 15, 20 strikes in total per round. 
I can't give you a round where you lost four, four and a half minutes on control time in grappling when you only landed like 10, 15 strikes. That doesn't make any sense. Your opponent literally imposed his will on you for four and a half, four minutes, and you couldn't do anything about it. And how are you winning the fight because you land 10 punches? Or you won a round because you won, you landed 10 punches. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Now, if Venom Page landed a lot more significant strikes and they did damage and etc., then you can warrant him winning the round. But you can't warrant to win the round when you only landed 10, 10 strikes and he didn't do any significant damage. It doesn't make any sense. It does not make any sense. Granted, I'm not justifying Storley just literally grappling his opponent, laying and praying, and, and not doing any significant ground and pound or threatening with submission or anything. That's bad too. You can lose fights doing that as well. I don't think he should be doing that going forward. But it just goes to show you that we're emphasizing striking and damage over grappling and wrestling a little too much nowadays. A little bit too much nowadays. Before, it was a little bit more emphasis on, on, on wrestling and grappling. Now, it's the, it's the exact opposite. So, I think we need a middle ground and we need a median. But, as far as judging scoring criteria, dude, it's all over the place. Because you can have, you can say, you know, the one thing that's emphasized the most is damage. And you can look at a judge's scorecard and say, you know, what the fuck happened here? So, we can say you have to learn the judging scoring criteria. But at the end of the day, bro, the judges, they do what they want. They, they score how they want, to be honest with you. No matter if you know the criteria or not. So, I just think that. Scott Coker was trying to play a little bit in favor of MVP because he was a hometown hero of that venue and MVP sells way more in Storley. So he's being a promoter, even though we all most of the time look at Scott Coker as someone who is honest and tells the truth. But I, I, I disagree, man. I disagree. And this it just goes back to the, the judging and the scoring criteria. Now, next up, we have Triple C saying Connor should fight Tony Ferguson, not Usman. He says a good fight for conor mcgregor's comeback is not uzman which is a fucking horrible fight for him granted i don't think he should be fighting uzman because he don't fucking deserve it but the, number one he doesn't deserve it why are we giving him time shots you don't deserve it straight up you don't deserve it um but tony makes more sense tony is a winnable fight for Quan for conor it's an entertaining fight i think it'll go back and forth a little bit i think one man is definitely gonna get finished whether it's tony or if it's conor <laughs> Uh, Tony did say he wants to fight at 170, so I think, and Connor doesn't want to drop down to 155. He says he liked being built like a fridge, so I think it's a good fight. I think it would be a good fight, entertaining fight. Both men's are on the, the, you know, on the lower ends of their careers. Fuck it, they're washed. Both men are washed, so I think it'll be a good fight. I think it'll be a good, entertaining fight and solid matchmaking for Triple C. Now, will this fight come into fruition? I highly, highly, highly doubt it. Now, Khabib says you can't compare Oliveira to him because no one ever touched his face. Basically, he was saying how he was just dominant his entire career. Oliveira gets dropped, you know, every fight basically, and you, you can't compare him for that reason. Now, is Khabib correct in that Oliveira has taken more damage than he did? Yes, Oliveira has taken far more damage than Khabib has, as far as striking-wise. Now, Khabib, now here's the thing. 
Khabib has been touched. Khabib hasn't rocked. He got rocked by he got rocked by uh by Michael Johnson. He got rocked by damn it. What's his fucking name? Edson Barbosa. Rocked by Johnson, Rocker Barbosa, got rocked by Poirier, and um he got he got beat up on the feet by T Bow. So you can't say that you your face has never been touched when you've been rocked on three separate occasions. Has he ever been dropped like Oliveira has? No. Has he really taken any significant damage? No. But then again, here's the thing. You guys are fighting two different ways. You're straight up wrestling your opponents. You're shooting for the takedown and grappling right away. You're not really giving your opponents the opportunity to strike. You only started doing that towards the very tail end of your career. And even so, you didn't necessarily strike that much. Oliveira is striking with his opponents. Oliveira is beating his opponents on the feet. Look at the Gaethje fight. Oliveira beat Gaethje on the feet before he, you know, eventually submitted him. Oliveira didn't shoot for a takedown. Oliveira didn't, um, you know, grapple against the cage and, and got his back. How did Oliveira get that position, bro? He dropped Gaethje on his ass. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a small drop. Gaethje was back on the on the ground, looking face up into, into the the ceiling, like it was a bad drop. He's beating these dudes on the feet. Oliveira can literally beat people on the feet, on the ground, and through wrestling. The man can do all three. He can literally do all three. You can't say the same for Khabib. And honestly, when it comes to Khabib's title reign, listen, a lot of discussions going around who's the 155 GOAT. Is it Oliveira or is it Khabib? I think as of now, it's Khabib. Because Khabib, he, as far as, you know... Career-wise, he hasn't taken much damage. He basically only lost one round, and he's been undefeated the entire time. Now, whose resume is better? Oliveira's resume is far better than Khabib's. Oliveira's resume at just 155 is better than Khabib's. Oliveira's title reign. If Oliveira beats Islam, then Oliveira's title reign is far better than Khabib's title reign. So at that point, we're going to have to revisit the discussion of who's the real GOAT at 155. But here's my real issue with Khabib. You retired too early. Granted, I know his dad died. He didn't want to fight anymore. Cool. I can totally understand. But you retired too early. You didn't necessarily clear out your division. You didn't leave a shadow of a doubt in everyone's mind. You're the best in that division ever. You didn't clear out your division. The one person who would have gave you the most problems in Oliveira, you never got a chance to fight. There will always be that what if if you never fight Oliveira. Literally, if you ne- if Oliveira beats Islam, everyone's going to say, yo, how would Khabib and Oliveira go? Even if Oliveira gets beaten after Islam, everyone's still going to think, oh, could Khabib have beaten Oliveira? That would always be in everyone's minds. Some people would say Oliveira, some people would say Khabib. But here's the issue. You left that doubt in people's minds because you didn't clear your division. You retired way too early. Way too early. So, uh, as far as comparisons-wise, I think as of now you can't compare them. But I think if Oliver defends his title another time against Islam and someone else after, I think he's you you can very much argue, and it would make sense that he's a GOAT of that division. Pierre says Masvidal slid in his wife's DMs and wants to fight him next. Now, it turns out that his wife slid in his 
in mass with all his DMs, and that's the whole issue. So basically, after the press conference, Pierre was saying that uh, Pereira, sorry, Pereira was saying that he has a bone to pick with Masvidal because uh, um, he sent his wife a like the like the amen emoji, the the hands together emoji, and he wants to know what that means. Now, here's the thing: his wife, it was like a it's a business account. Multiple people have the account and shit like that. So his wife, he posted something. And his wife is like, oh, like, good job, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know, nothing nefarious to, 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 that really comes to mind, to be honest with you. It was just like, you know, like, just like a, a like praising him, I guess. And he did the, the amen emoji, whatever. So is there anything there? No. She even came out and said, listen, as a business account, multiple people have the, uh, the thing. The, the 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 you know credentials to log in etc. This was years ago before she was even married to Priera, so like it's really not that big of a deal. People are making it more than it actually is. So I think you know maybe Prayer just got everything mixed up or just wanted to pick a fight with all wanted a good reason to start this feud so that he can get a good money fight. Good try, you know it was worth a good try, but it's definitely yeah it's it's not. It's not going to come with the fruition, dude. Like, you, you should have done your research a little bit more before um, before calling the dude out. But Musashi says the UFC is ripping off fighters because of, of the uniform rules. I 100% agree with Musashi. The, the UFC uniform rules suck so much ass. Basically, if you don't know, we had the Reebok deal at first. And the Reebok deal basically shitted on fighters. They even got fighters' names wrong in the uniform and a bunch of other shit. The uniforms look fucking terrible, too. And then we have the Venom deal, which people shitted on the Reebok deal so much that no major company wanted to even touch it, like Nike or Adidas and everything else. So Venom picked it up, which is a smaller company that makes you know combat gear, like gloves and everything else. And they really didn't do much as far as changing the look of the overall uniforms or paying the fighters to basically pay to sit the fighters the same thing that the Reebok paid fighters which is literally shit and it's just cheating fighters it's literally just cheating fighters so most of the money is going to the UFC and these companies are paid to fighters nothing it should be as far as uniform wise the fighters should get whatever they like whatever sponsors they like that's willing to sponsor them per fight for uniform wise that should be on the uniform of course, you want to have regulations as far as what companies you can have and what companies you can't have. We don't want, you know, back in the early 2000s, condom depot on the middle of a fighter's ass <laughs> while they're wrestling. And it's just, just, you know, viewed upon by everyone using the fucking ESPN Plus app. Like, you don't want that. So you have to regulate the kind of companies that would be sponsoring these fighters. But, dude... If you're not willing to pay the fighters, if you're not willing to budge 18%, which is literally fucking nothing, paying your fighters, at least give them the opportunity to gain sponsorships. That would give them, that would literally give them a whole other revenue. And especially if these guys have a name, they'll be basically getting paid twice what they're making already, which would lead to less complaints and would make you look like the good guy. And you're really not losing out any money because your pay structure is still the same. So it would be a win-win across the board. But of course, 
as with 99.99% of all corporate companies, they're all greedy fucks, and this is definitely not going to happen. But I definitely agree with Musashi there. You should give the opportunity for fighters to have their own sponsorships. Some companies do this, like Bellator, but I don't think the UFC is going to do this anytime soon, to be entirely honest with you. And last but not least, I want to get into the PFL. So I hinted at this in the beginning of the podcast. The PFL is making some major, major changes in the MMA sphere. And honestly, I have good, rev- I have mixed reviews. I have good reviews and have bad reviews for it. The PFL has gained many new investors. I think A-Rod being one of them. I think he invested like $30 million or something like that. So the PFL has gained many new investors. I think in total it, it came out to about $500 million, somewhere around there. What they're doing is they are creating a new pay-per-view model. So they're starting to do pay-per-views, not just being on the ESPN Plus app anymore. They're having that 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 pay-per-view factor of it. And on top of that, they're the first company in ever to in MMA space to do a 50-50 revenue split, which MOB, basketball, NBA, NFL, they all have 50-50 revenue split where 50% goes to the players, 50% goes to the owners. And PFL's new structure, 50% goes to the fighters, 50% goes to the owners and investors. This is beautiful. This is such big news in the MMA sphere. Now, there is mixed reviews. One, I think it's a good thing because the fighters are finally getting paid. And now, it's, it's, a, it's a bigger incentive for fighters to sign with the PFL. When fighters are frustrated with the pay structure in UFC or possibly the pay structure in Bellator or want to change or something like that, they can go to the PFL because they know they're going to get paid that 50-50 revenue split. It's just another incentive for fighters to come fight in that promotion, which means that they will get more top talent coming into the promotion. Not just talent on the tail ends of their career, but guys in their prime going to promotion to fight for them. So that's good. We have We're going to have a... a a more major competitor in the MMA sphere. Because when you look at Bellator, you look at, oh, it's like the UFC's little brother. It's like the fodder league that feeds the UFC, which it kind of is like that structure-wise. But now, basically, what they're doing is they're trying to be like, yo, like we're the real number twos in the block. We're not as big as the UFC yet, but we have ambitions that we're trying to be. Which, it just gives more options for the fighters, and that's why I love. Now... I think as far as pay-per-view structure, I think what they want to start doing is they're willing to cross-promote other promotions, which is amazing. So they're willing to cross-promote Bellator, have the best Bellator fighters against the best PFL fighters. I know one championship is willing to uh, cross-promote because it did it with Bellator. So the bet, so no, 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 pause, not one championship, Ryzen. So the best Ryzen fighter against the best PFL fighters, et cetera, et cetera. This is good too. So now we have a mixture of different MMA promotions. Now we could truly see who's the best of the best. The best fighters fighting against the best fighters. And they're not, you know, withheld from their promotion. So we get to see, you know, these fantasy matchups, which is also good for the sport. So that's very good as well. So it's two things that are very good. Now, the thing that's on the negative side is one, the PFL's format is in like a league. You have playoffs, you have the league, you have to win points, etc., etc. I hate that shit. I don't like leagues. I, 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 
That's the reason why I can't watch any other sport besides combat sports. I don't like leagues. I don't give a I don't give a fuck about the league. I don't give a fuck about teams. I literally just want to watch one person. That's it. I'm interested in this one player, this one fighter. I just want to watch them. I don't give a fuck about anything else. So when you have that league format, and the league is kind of weird because you could lose a fight but still get into the playoffs and the person who beats you does get in. It's weird. Sometimes it's dumb. It doesn't make sense. I personally don't like it because I just have a general distaste for leagues. I'm just not a fan of it. So you're going to have people like me who naturally don't want to watch the PFL for that reason, right? So you have that league structure that people are not going to want to watch. On top of that, you're going to have to do more than just have a 50-50 revenue split for people to start watching the PFL. Because here's the thing. There's a difference between people who watch MMA and people who just watch UFC. For instance, my friends, right? My friends who watch MMA, they just watch the UFC. The motherfuckers are never putting on Bellator. They're never putting on one championship. They'll never put on PFL. They'll never put on Eagle FC. They'll never do that. They'll never watch that stuff. It's just me who will watch that stuff. Besides PFL and I haven't watched Eagle FC yet because I don't know where the fuck to watch it to be honest with you. I need to figure that shit out because I want to watch some of their fights. More so upcoming uh, Russian talent, you know, that area region of you know, the European countries around that area. I want to see that new up-and-coming talent more so than the old fucks that Khabib has fighting the promotions like, you know, Thiago Alves or Hector Lombard or Junior Dos Santos. I don't give a fuck about them. I've been seeing them fighting since I was a kid. They should retire. Some of the new up-and-coming fighters, that's what I want to see from that region. So that's why I want to start looking to Eagle FC to see some of those guys. But you have to grasp the audience for the new UFC. Because most of the UFC, most of the people who watch MMA are casuals. So most of the people who watch the UFC, most uh, excuse me, most of the people who watch MMA in general are UFC fans. They just watch the UFC. I would say at least 90% of people who watch MMA just watch the UFC. Or bare minimum 80%. So 80-90% only watch UFC for MMA-wise. So out of that 80-90% who just watch the UFC, 80-90% are casual fans. So they only watch big name fighters. They don't really watch the sport. They'll buy a pay-per-view here and there. If someone they know is fighting, they'll buy it. They're really not up to date with the ranking system. They don't know, you know, some of the lesser name fighters. They don't watch it every week. They basically just watch it once a month for a pay-per-view, etc., etc. So you're already at a deficit at this point. You got to grasp the 90% in the 90%, which is a casual fan base, which, you know, the hardcore fans are going to watch a PFL material because we're, we're going to see a, you know, a different level of talent there and pay-per-view wise, different promotions come together, et cetera, et cetera. So we're interested in that. We're going to watch that. We're going to pay for that. You have to get the casual fan within the fan base that only watches MMA to actually watch your product to generate the amount of revenue that you want to generate to sustain the 50-50 revenue split. So they're, they're in an uphill battle right now. They're literally in an uphill battle doing this. If they're able to pull it off, then it's a beautiful thing. If not, then it's just going to fail. Because the, the UFC does such a good job 
creating a brand image. Most people, when they think of MMA, the first thing they think is the UFC. So many people don't even know that the UFC is not the name of the sport. It's just a name of a promotion in the sport. A lot of casual fans don't even know that. So you have to grasp that audience's attention, which it's extremely hard to do. So I, I do like what they're doing. I do respect what they're doing. I do like I, I enjoy what they're doing in the in the space of MMA and you know doing what's right by the fighters. But I'm gonna be honest with you. Do I think it's gonna work out? I don't think it's gonna work out. I don't think their product wise can effectively grasp the casual MMA fan base who only watches UFC. I don't think they can do it. I generally don't think they can do it. The PFL does some weird, quirky things that are unique to them, like the smart cage and this punch went 15, 20 miles per hour. I don't give a fuck about that. I don't care about that. I don't care how fast a, a right hook is coming in. I don't give a shit. Like, why are you telling me this? So you're going to have to do more than just have you know, a league or a different kind of product to grasp that attention. Um, if they're able to figure it out, cool. Then I, I love this for MMA Sphere. But do I think it's going to fail? Unfortunately so. But that's it for this episode of R6 MMA Talk. Dude, I can't even tell you how many times I had to stop because someone was going down the block with a fucking hoopty or someone's dogs were barking at literally I never heard this dog a day in my life and I'm hearing it non-stop. It's fucking annoying. But this is, we'll have an, another episode next week. Of course, it is at Tuesdays at 7 a.m. every single week. Next week, I'm just going to be going over MMA news and different topics of an MMA sphere. But I hope you enjoyed this episode and have a good night, guys. Bye.